There's lots to do. There is just a lot to do. And every generation has to take care of it. I mean, we're repeating ourselves. You know, every generation has to go do it again, get something going again. So the whole work of justice has to be done by that generation. Welcome to the 298th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In 2022, the Land Stewardship Project marked the 40th year since two farmers union organizers, Ron Cruz and the late Victor Ray, came up with the idea to create an organization dedicated to keeping the land and people together. Concerned about the devastating impact an industrialized, corporate-controlled system of agriculture was having on the land and rural communities, Ron and Victor felt there was a need for a grassroots group that would bring farmers and others together around the issue of stewardship. In 1982, the Land Stewardship Project was born. Ron went on to head up the organization as its executive director for a decade before handing off the reins to George Booty. A lot's changed during the past four decades. Along with its soil health initiative, LSP also works in the areas of beginning farmer training, transition of farms to the next generation, local, state, and federal policy, and community food systems. But before there was something called the Land Stewardship Project or any of its program areas, there was a document called Strangers and Guests Toward Community in the Heartland. I've talked to Ron Cruz numerous times about LSP's beginnings, and he repeatedly credits this document with inspiring him to launch an organization that focused on how stewardship farming can connect people with the land in a positive way. Issued in May 1980 by Catholic bishops from 11 Midwestern and Plains states, Strangers and Guests is not simply a report. It's a strong, forthright statement on land issues, as the bishops put it. The document leads off by announcing, We are witnessing profound and disturbing changes in rural America. It continues on to say, land ownership is being restructured. Agricultural production is becoming more heavily industrialized and concentrated in fewer hands, and the earth all too frequently is being subjected to harmful farming, mining, and development practices. Such changes are adversely affecting our rural people, their way of life, their land, and the wider national and international communities which depend on them to satisfy hunger. Sounds like it would have been written today, doesn't it? The statement then goes on to describe the wide-ranging negative impacts of killing the family farm and why it's the responsibility of all of us, elected officials as well as members of the general public, to take steps to fight this terrible trend. It isn't just about helping farm families. It's about conserving our soil, water, food systems, and healthy rural economies, wrote the bishops. It's also about social and economic justice. In short, It's a moral imperative for us to resist the extinction of family farm-based stewardship agriculture and to help it thrive. I recently read through Strangers and Guests, and it's an impressive document. It's heavily footnoted with citations related to history, economics, farm policy, land use planning, and market systems. The text seamlessly mixes rural sociology research and environmental science with Native American justice issues and biblical scripture. Strangers and Guests was prompted by what we now call the 1980s farm crisis, a time when a push to plant crops fence row to fence row for an export-driven, 
corporate-controlled market, combined with government policy, increased consolidation, and a land-grant system that had lost its way, pushed a record number of family farmers off the land. Given the period in which it was brought together, it's no surprise this document has about it a sense of urgency. After all, when it was published, farmers were being foreclosed on at a rapid pace, and erosion rates in some areas were the highest they'd been since the Dust Bowl. One of the reasons the statement feels so relevant is that it's based on numerous listening sessions held in dioceses throughout the region. Farmers and other rural residents lined up to give often heart-wrenching testimony about how their lives were being torn apart and what needed to be done to save the heartland. This document is not some sort of sermon handed down from on high. It speaks from the heart of the people. I recently had the great fortune to travel to Shakopee, Minnesota, and interview one of the architects of Strangers and Guests. Sister Mary Tacheny is a member of the School Sisters of Notre Dame, a group of nuns which focuses on education, among other things. She was teaching high school in Fridley, Minnesota, when she was tapped to help pull together the Strangers and Guests listening sessions, document the testimony, and develop a statement that reflected what people were saying. Later, Ron Cruz invited Sister Mary to serve on LSP's first board of directors, and she remained quite active with rural organizing over the years. She helped farmers make their voices heard at the Minnesota legislature around issues of land ownership and corporate control of ag acres, for example. Sister Mary is 98 years old, and her memory, along with her fiery passion for people in the land, is as sharp as ever. We started our conversation talking about strangers and guests and the impact it had. Sister Mary also talked to me about the unique role LSP plays and continues to play in putting some of the ideals of strangers and guests into action. I wanted to talk to you about something that I think came maybe before LSP or it might have been in our early years because Ron Cruz talked about how influential it was and that was strangers and guests and I know you were very much involved with that and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because he said that had a huge influence on how he he went about forming this nonprofit organization uh-huh. and st- dedicated to stewardship and family farms. Could you talk a little bit about Strangers and Guests and how sure. that came about and what that consisted of? That's true for Ron, and it was that, that was during that time that I met him for the first time. He had a little mop <laughs> closet uh-huh. <laughs> of some, I remember the smallness of it, and uh, it was at Farmers Union headquarters in St. Paul, and he was dreaming away about his project. And I had just started my job with the bishops about that time. And uh, they had hired someone because they were the, the state, the bishops of the, the state, six of them. Among them was Bishop George Speltz of St. Cloud. And Bishop Speltz did his PhD, in fact, on, on, manage, on soil and management of soil and mm. so on. So he was really into it and into the farm thing and supported me 100%. They hired me because they were concerned over what they were hearing about what was happening to farmers. It was in the 80s. People were losing their land. And when people were losing their land, the church was losing its people because they had to leave that land over to the banks or credit companies or wherever. Right. So they were worried about this because if, if the, the land went, the church went, the schools, their little schools, they had a lot of little schools in those places. And that's where we nuns were. So this is what drew them to ask for an educator who could help 
rural life directors in each of those dioceses become more effective in doing doing something. Sister Eunice asked me to consider this job, which was to coordinate some kind of effort with rural life directors that would call attention to the issues of that particular time to not only the people in rural areas, but the people in the cities. And the importance of ownership of land being in the hands of many people, that was really their, their real theory. So we started planning, of course, and the idea came from the bishops that maybe we should make a statement of some kind, calling attention to people about what was happening on their land because they were afraid it was happening pretty fast, and it was... It was, too. Yeah, I should point out, this was the 19, midst of the 1980s farm credit crisis. It was right. People were being foreclosed on, and it was a major crisis in agriculture and family farming at the time. Really turned things around in those communities. And it made people angry and committed to doing something about it. Well, anyway, the bishops thought this might be helpful. They were responding kind of to an example led by the bishops of Appalachia who had put out a statement. Their process was that they sent a couple of their priests who were concerned about it up and down the mountains to interview people as to what they felt needed to be done or needed to be stopped. So we liked that idea of the people forming the document rather than coming from the upper level. So we proceeded to plan for that kind of thing we decided that we would get somebody who would make some rough general statements, a rough outline of what the statement might include. And that person was Dr. John Hart, who was a theologian from, I think, from Mount, from Mary College in North Dakota, maybe. So he helped us put together kind of an outline of what we would cover, satisfied us, and, of course, we had input into it. And we made copies of it on rough newsprint so that we could multiply a lot of copies cheaply enough and spread them around in our dioceses. Rural life directors got active because here was something that they could they could see they could do. So we spread them around in the diocese. People had their own copies, mark it up, like it or dislike it, say it's stronger if it needs to be, blah, blah, blah. Then we wanted, after that, to have some gatherings in each diocese. We didn't want to call them meetings, we called them listening sessions. The people wanted the bishop and his staff to listen to what was happening because that was one of their complaints. They didn't think they were listening. So we made get, pulled people together in gatherings. Each diocese had three or four of these, depending upon this, how spread apart people were. And uh, made a basic statement first, had somebody do that. But the bishop and his staff were sitting up in front in their chairs and table there listening and writing notes as they... And people did the testifying and the suggestions. I remember the lineup behind that microphone. We wondered if they would do this, you know, mm -hmm. because the rural people are timid. But there were lines of them. God, we tried to get some of them going first so that they could lead the way. And they did. They responded. And they told their tale. They told their story. It was just pretty impressive. Mm. And we took notes as fast as we could. And John Hart was there listening too. And we can, it 
confirmed a lot of people as to what was happening, and, and they were getting the story out, and they felt good about it. They felt really proud of themselves, happy to be there. I remember one in the Saint, one of these gatherings in the St. Cloud Diocese, we had a storm that night. It was a big auditorium kind of place, and it stormed and stormed. Thank God we were all inside where they were not underwater there. But uh, people stuck it out, stayed with it, <laughs> had good ideas. Then we, then we had the job of res- taking all of those responses and getting, they could write responses too, that was the other thing. Mm-hmm. They could write their ideas. It was my job in Minnesota. Well, at the same time, that, that, I should say this too, the same time this was going on, the people in South Dakota heard about it. So pretty soon this idea spread and the Des Moines Diocese, Father Bishop Dingman, was very active and a believer in the, in the whole farm program. So he got going in Iowa, and so it gradually spread. So then we got ourselves together Midwest. There were 12 or 13 states, I believe, where we had directors of rural dioceses, directors of rural stuff or action. They called them by different names. Mm-hmm. But there were... We gathered together in Des Moines, where Bishop Dingman was hosted us, and uh, did our planning. It was my job in Minnesota to collect those ideas, and John helped with that. So we turned them all in. John got them from the various states and developed first edition of uh, Strangers and Guests, which we then went over carefully and among the uh, committee of people who were organizing it. Went through the first draft, and the second draft was better even, and so there it was. Simply published, again, very simple paper, nothing expensive. What, what were some of the main things that people were asking for in that? Well, they, they had ownership of the family farm, mm-hmm. ownership by many people. It was a big thing, and the importance of that. But the other thing that was, was important was the guarding of the resources, the soil People talked about conservation and some people practicing it, others not practicing it. That would be a second one. And the third one was this this whole notion of selling the product, getting the product to market mm-hmm. in such a way that it gave some income that was necessary for that farmer instead of big corporations taking over. Mm-hmm. So that that idea, the big that was a biggie with those farmers out there. So the, I remember Ron being excited. We had 10 principles, which formed, I think, the second chapter of that. And then we went on describing each one of those 10 principles. Mm-hmm. So Ron was, I know, influenced by that, those 10 principles, because we talked about it over. I talked to him a lot about this whole thing when I was there, because he, he, had, he had thought this thing through, and he wanted to make sure it was the best possible way to go at the issues and he was struggling with that and and this was about the time lsp was getting started and ron was getting stuff started it was right about that time right about that time he and what's the other man's name victor ray victor ray victor ray was a good guy too the two of them together had these ideas and they were so concerned about it and so so into the issues that anything that appeared on the horizon that felt like it was supporting what they said was, was a good thing. And so that I think Ron felt that that was, happened in, the, in yeah. this particular situation. So that was it. And I think from there on, LSP picked up this and took it to the next step. 
which they could do better than we would. So it was always that land stewardship project organization was high on my list and became high on school sisters of Notre Dame lists who were in rural areas. So it became a, a sister organization, and you know, in a sense, because they were picking up where we had started, and I shouldn't say where we had started because Ron had started in his own head that way. That's the that that was the document that influenced a lot of people in that in that day, and you had people with their copies, you know, and they'd bring them to a meeting, and it would thrill me to see them referring back to it at other meetings. So it finally, I think, made some impression. Well, I think that's a really good point you made early on was the reason the church, one of the reasons the church got involved with the farm crisis was they realized when the farms went, the businesses went, the churches went, the schools went, it was all connected. It was like a domino, kind of a domino effect. Exactly. And those men were intelligent enough to uh, to realize that the church was going to be directly affected if they didn't get busy and become a part of something. It was a, it was an exciting time for people, and they they had something to get their hands on that mm-hmm. they could they could see something they could do. It feels pretty lonely out there sometimes if you don't have somebody helping you. Was LSP a little bit unique at that time in that there were a lot of groups looking at the farm crisis and at family farmers, looking at access to markets, but we maybe were one of the few groups that were combining the stewardship land ethic with the whole family farm issue. I, I think you're right, absolutely. That was that was there from the start. The bring keeping the land and the people together. And you you can't keep you can't manage that without having good soil, mm-hmm. good good care of the water and soil and working together as a group. I, I think there you're absolutely right that land stewardship project was something that was different was tackling the the problem from the bottom from the very bottom up you can't have a successful farm program without having good soil good land and it was important to take care of that one of the first times i ever met you you really got across to me the importance of speaking out and you said that <laughs> actually the to- story you told was I don't know, you'd been speaking in public on issues like making sure Minnesota had a good, uh, strong corporate farm law and minded things like ownership of of farmland by corporations, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You've been speaking in public like at the legislature and at public meetings, that type of thing. And you would have people come up to you afterwards and say, hey, I really, that was great what you said. I really support what you said. And you said, well, then you should have said something. But I think it really got across the message to me, the importance of speaking out. And even if you don't think you're a leader in the community or you don't think you're a good public speaker or whatever, that that is so key. And it seems like that's something you have really, I think you've been a real, I've talked to a lot of people who said you were a real role model for them as far as somebody who maybe is not in a position, you're not a lawmaker, you're not you know, in a position of power in the government, but it's even more important that maybe you well, speak out on these issues. The one, I think the one thing that helped me in that case was, again, instigated by the bishops. I was their voice at the legislature on rural stuff. Mm. And it really bothered me that I was the one to speak as a, at a committee, let's say a committee hearing. Mm-hmm. 
That really bothered me. And I began to think about that and to think to myself, well, why am I doing this? Why isn't there a farmer here saying this? I do not farm. Here I am talking about the land when the farmer should be there. So early on, I started getting people from the boards that were had been at gatherings for the strangers and guests. Mm. I had learned to know a lot of people, so I finally got them and, and said, hey, you should be speaking up. Well, we're just farmers. What do we know? Oh, we can't speak up. Yes, you can. So we started training some people at the Minnesota Catholic Conference office there, right on on, um, University Avenue. So I tried to work with people to show them how to develop a statement. I said, you farm, you know the issue. I don't know the issue as it affects affects you as much as you do. So you're the one. You know a lot more than they do. I I had to convince these guys right all, all along. You know a lot more than all of those guys who are sitting there in those chairs. So say it with belief, and I would help him formulate it and say it and put it together to some extent, multiply it so we'd have it multiplied around a little bit. And Many a time we <laughs> would be dog-tired working. I'd call him to the Minnesota Catholic Conference office, and they'd collapse on the floor and just want to just sleep for a little bit. <laughs> the bishops never knew. <laughs> I hope you had carpeting. <laughs> yes, we did. And we had a wonderful secretary who could keep all the secrets. So I could use the copy machine, and it was a great time. They knew it was true that they could. They were the spokesperson, not me. I, I didn't have any influence on those legislators at all, except that I gathered these folks, these farmers together and got them there and told them, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher, so it's the basic teaching. When you learn... When you know how to do something, you can do it, and you can and you can learn how to do it, and you can influence others. That must have been pretty rewarding to see them get up there and speak. Oh, it was exciting. It was exciting, and they got better and better at it, less afraid. And they would come. Others would come and support them. That was the fun part about it. The room would be full. You know, the legislators would look around, and, or sometimes they'd call me and want to talk to me about something was fun. Do you remember specifically any particular hearing where it was just in a particular issue that was being discussed? Well, one one was the whole business of land ownership. Mm-hmm. I remember that being a big big thing because you got people there who believed that you had to be bigger if you were going to get if you're going to make it. You couldn't make it otherwise. They were convinced of it, you right. know. That was a contentious spot. But that corporate farm act that helped a lot, and we had to guard it with our lives practically every year because somebody would like to whittle it down a little bit. When those, when the farmers came into those hearings and the place was full of them, they knew they had an issue that they had to deal with, that people knew what they were doing, what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a few legislators who were not particularly helpful. But uh, speaking out is just just critical for, yeah, for yeah. people who know what they're doing. That's what land stewardship has been so strong about. I'm just so pleased with, like, the beginning farmer program, Mm -hmm. connecting farm sales people who have acres to sell to a farmer who, to a young person who wants to get into it. These programs are doing something about a critical issue. Uh, How old are you? I'm 98. You're 98. So you have kind of seen, you've been there from the beginning 
before LSP, you, you know, you were at the beginning with the farm crisis mm -hmm. and have seen a lot of changes. You've seen family farmers be able to start speaking for themselves, and you've seen several farm bills go through, a lot of state policy go through, a lot of struggles locally, regionally, nationally over these issues. Kind of the sustainable agriculture movement and the regenerative ag movement come along and the organic ag movement. I mean, how do you kind of feel looking back? Do you feel positive about the future or do you feel like we just have a ton more work to do or what, what do you ever think about that uh, you know kind of because you have seen a lot and you've been in the trenches with a lot of that work so I think you have a really good viewpoint of where we're at and where we're going a little bit well there are days when you know you wonder at where the production of food is going to lead us but I never give up hope because I, th I think if the environmental movement keeps going and the fears about climate change keep happening, and and it, people are becoming more and more convinced, I think, there's something wrong here, mm -hmm. something going on that's wrong. And they're not satisfied with the food issue. They're not, we're not, many people are not able to get good food, the effect on health, the environment. I think people are beginning to understand the full cycle of this, but what to do about it, because we in this country are very comfortable compared to a lot of other people. But we're speaking out more and more. Storms are bothering people. We have a much more diverse group of folks out there now that we are being more tolerable to. We've got a long ways to go yet, apparently. There's lots to do. There is just a lot to do. And every generation has to take care of it. I mean, we're repeating ourselves, you know, every generation has to go do it again, get something going again. So the whole work of justice has to be done by that generation. Then the next one comes along and people begin to say, what, here we're hearing this again. They've lived through it a couple of times. Yeah, that's true. But the activity has to happen by people of that era. Do something about it. I think the work has to, the work has to go on. The work has to go on, and somebody has to lead it. And so it's going to take something a little bit different for each group because mm -hmm. it's, it's different. But we're, we're talking more and more about rotation of crops and the need to do that, the need to take care of the soil, the need to take care of deep-rooted soil. Mm -hmm. So the work has to continue, and the more people we can get involved, the better. Something is happening out there that's important, and it's important to keep it going. And it might take some new ideas in order to do that. But there's something so basic about saving the soil that you just can't get over it. For more information on Strangers and Guests, including a link to the document itself, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 298 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll also find a link to LSP's historical timeline and an earlier Ear to the Ground interview with Ron Cruz. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ears on the Ground's theme music. 
and a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.